Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Andrea N. Hunt, who is an Associate Professor of Sociology and Family Studies and the Director of the Mitchell West Center for Social Inclusion at the University of North Alabama. She is a first-generation graduate, and her teaching, research, and community work cover a range of interrelated topics, including trauma, identity, inequality, the role of academic advising and student retention, mentoring, effective online pedagogy, and learning experiences that promote information and media literacy. Dr. Hunt is a court-appointed special advocate and works in the community with mental health professionals, social workers, youth and juvenile detention, and adults in recovery. She is currently pursuing a degree in counseling to better support her community. We have so much to talk about here, Andrea, so let's just jump right into this. Okay, sounds good. Awesome, well, welcome. So I'd like to start off the conversation by asking you a bit about your personal background and where you grew up and some of the key learnings during those formative years. Okay, great. Um, So I grew up in southeastern Kansas in a small town, um, small rural community, and um, my family was, uh, you know, working class and my dad struggled with addiction um, all of my life and, and still does struggle with addiction. And so a lot of my formative years were really shaped by that. Um, and when a parent is um, struggling with addiction and trying to manage recovery and going in and out of active addiction and recovery, Um, the whole family is really involved in that process and is affected by that process. Um, I was very fortunate to have a a wonderful mother who tried to normalize our lives as as much as possible, but you still feel the effects of of that. And so I graduated high school um, and really didn't have a plan for myself um, because I really just didn't know what I was going to do. And I had Um, struggled with my own addiction in high school in my early 20s and really didn't think that I would make it to where I'm at today. So I didn't really have a plan. And so I went to my community college and and thank goodness we have um, so many great community colleges across this nation that provide people with not only first chances, but second and third chances to um, get on track in life. And so made my way through there and then transferred to a small college in Oklahoma, Roger State University. And that college had just gone from a community college to a four-year institution. And so I was among one of the first people to graduate there with a bachelor's degree. And so that was really exciting to be a part of that foundation and, and part of the history of that institution. Um, and I later went on to get a master's degree at the University of South Alabama, where I started studying um, juvenile delinquency and program evaluation. And, and so much of that was really influenced by my own experiences and the experiences of, um, you know, the, the people that I was hanging out with and my friends in, in middle school and high school, um, and then went on to North Carolina State and, and earned my Ph.D., and then landed here at the University of North Alabama and have just enjoyed so much the, the time that I have spent here. Oh, that is a very exciting journey that you had. Let me go back and 
I'm going to take a step back and go back into your history. Mm -hmm. So your dad was an alcoholic. Did you say an alcoholic? Yes, and, and used various drugs off and on, but alcohol was the, the, the primary, primary mode there. So you had mentioned that your mom tried to kind of normalize things for you. How did that feel? Did you recognize that, you know, obviously later you recognize that she was trying to normalize things for you, but as a kid growing up in that, were you impacted by guilt? Were you afraid to bring people over? How did that impact you? And, and when I say normalize it, I, I really should kind of clarify what that means. She really tried to provide us with as much of a normal life as possible um, and shield us from seeing him in active addiction. And so I knew what AA was from a very young age. Um, we had, you know, Saturday evening get togethers with uh, other folks that were in recovery, um, you know, people playing cards, you know, all evening. And we would go to get togethers at the AA hall. So I was very aware of um, what addiction is um, at a, a very young age. Um, but my mother tried really hard to keep us away from what active addiction looked like. And so we really knew much more about what, what it means to be in recovery than we did of seeing active addiction. Um, but what we didn't really know at the time that we were children, and I have a, a two siblings and I'm the middle child, is that while we thought he was in recovery and, and he was, you know, a recovering alcoholic, he was really in active addiction most of that time. Um, but there was just a lot of excuses. And so my mom really um, tried to protect us from seeing all of that. And at the same time, you know, later on, you know, you, you realize um, how much she took um, and, and how much she had to go through um, trying to make sure that we didn't necessarily see that. And she led Al-Anon groups and, and was a, a pillar in our community, really um, leading those groups and helped a lot of, of women do that. But at the same time, um, really was kind of codependent in that relationship. And that speaks to just how difficult um, addiction is on relationships and the kind of mental and emotional abuse that's intertwined in with addiction. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate your explanation of how that impacted you and mom being the trying to reframe and be the protector and, and also kind of guarding you from seeing what active addiction looks like, which gets me to my next question. So how were you able to recognize your own addiction? I did not recognize it for a very long time. And so I recently had a conversation with my mother and I said, you know, I started drinking when I was at the age of 12 and she just didn't realize that because she was still um, dealing so much with my father's addiction. And um, I, I didn't realize that what, what I was kind of entering into from the age of 12 into you know, my 20s was this pathway that was um, kind of this intergenerational transmission of, of addiction. And, you know, I think when you're a teen and, you know, in high school, you see this so much more as 
socializing that you don't have a problem. And I see this among college students where college students don't think that they have a problem because it's just, you know, part of that quote unquote college experience and college life. Um, but it started really significantly impacting my life. And I was in a lot of very dangerous situations um, that were a result of um, my addiction. And it really took me having access to education and seeing another pathway out of my community and something that would give me this alternative life um, that was something different than where I was was at. And so, you know, even still today, my dad is 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 in active addiction um, and hasn't found that way out. And so you know, as I saw, you know, as I was in my 20s and saw him kind of still in that place, I thought I've got to find a way out of this um, because I'm seeing this really unfold right in front of me of this is where my life is headed. And so um, when I tell people, you know, kind of leaving my community and, and going to uh, my little four-year school that was close-knit and, and I had a lot of support and had a lot of people there to really help navigate me through that, I mean, that saved my life. Um, but I showed up the first day there, hi, um, and and was just kind of still doing some of the same things that I had been doing, but knew that this was the chance, that I had this one chance um, to change um, any other intergenerational trajectories that would potentially, um, you know, happen for me and, and, and the kids that I may have one day. Yeah, wow. Incredible. Incredible how you are able to have a process and a realization and a look forward in that you realize like, I need to change my behavior and my patterns. Although it was like you said, intergenerational and there's a lot of theory on that. And we can certainly go into that in another episode, right? So um, here's the thing, you were able to recognize you went to school high, but you still went to school and somehow made your way through that understood it. And I really think sometimes we're drawn to certain things like professions to kind of understand yeah. our journey. <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? Totally agree. So I was majoring in psychology um, to really just help make sense of what was happening in my family and to really understand myself and my experiences. And then I took um, a juvenile delinquency class. And I thought, oh my goodness, this explains so much of my experiences during my teen years. And it gave me such a um, clearer lens to really understand my life, my family experiences, and the experiences of, of people in my community. And I can start really putting the pieces together um, in a way that I wasn't able to before. And, and it was at that moment, I felt like I began to really thrive um, because I was just so hungry for understanding. And I think that a lot of us are really hungry for understanding and we're searching um, for those pieces, those pieces that really help us make sense of where have we been, where are we at now, and where are we going? And mm -hmm. when, you, when you're able to um, kind of find that space that allows you to thrive because you're gaining that information and you're unpacking your experiences, it really does shift your whole life. Yeah, right. It mm -hmm. absolutely does. And, and I like to interject here and say, it's really important for people to hear this, that 
we have the opportunity and the choice mm -hmm. to change our trajectory, our, our journey. And it's okay to ask for help, number one. And then the next part of that is knowing that we take ownership over our own things, our own choices and what's happening in our life, but we don't have to own the choices of other people necessarily. And to me, that was really a key moment in my life because I had a parent who was also, who also went through addiction and um, very hard drugs, heroin, cocaine, a meth. Um, and I used to have folks say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Most of my friends didn't know it. I'm so sorry. And that happened after I got out of high school, but I was like, stop saying sorry. Stop. I finally one day said, stop saying sorry. You don't have to be sorry for me because this is not my issue to own. This is hers. These are her choices. These are choices that she made. I just need to understand what's going on with her. And that made it feel better for me because once I was able to separate from like, oh my gosh, yes, these are her choices because what I was doing was going home, trying to take care of her, trying to at a very young age and because I was, she was a single mom. So I was like, man, this is overwhelming. So sometimes you do have to take a step back and kind of just see where your path is and really make sure that you're taking care of yourself. So I think that's really important. Yeah, totally agree. So now as you grew up, you've had a lot of successes and challenges. Can you just name, you know, one of your biggest challenges and one of your biggest successes, I would say? Oh, biggest challenges. I, I really think the biggest challenge was, was leaving my hometown. I, I was really just stuck in this place of not feeling like there was anything more for me. And again, I was, I was really caught up in, um, in addiction and, and didn't have any kind of purpose or kind of pathway out. And I got a, a letter in the mail from my community college that said, you're graduating with an associate's degree, you've taken enough classes. And so somehow over the four years of me being in and out of community college, I had taken enough credits that they said, you've done it. And it was the sign that I really needed that I had accomplished something despite um, needing to take breaks to work, despite barely being able to keep my head above water, that I had accomplished something. And it was in that moment that, it, that I, I knew, okay, this is the opportunity um, to really leave. But then it was, how do, how do you do that? How, right. do you, how do you do that when you, when you don't really know what you're going into? Um, when, when your parents haven't gone to college, when you're going to have to leave home and really start fresh someplace new and, and really leave behind um, your circle of people, knowing that you've got to do that to be able to go and accomplish the things that, you, that you're meant to do in your life. And so that was probably um, the most difficult time of just knowing that if and if also if I don't do that if I don't take that leap then I don't know what might have happened to me and you know I talk to my mom about this all the time that it, it probably would have been that she would have gotten a call that I was dead someplace mm -hmm. um, that I had OD'd and that's where my life was really heading and so 
having enough courage and guts to just take that leap to leave was terrifying and scary and overwhelming. Um, but it put everything in place that was to, to lead me to where I'm at now. Um, so the, some of the, 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 the biggest accomplishments, um, I think the, the first degree, you know, graduating with my bachelor's degree, being the first person in my family to do that, um, you know, knowing how hard um, it, it was to get there, knowing how much my, my family sacrificed, you know, my grandma and my mom and, and people trying to help me a little bit along the way, my mentors, um, all of those folks. It was once I got that and knew that um, learning and learning new knowledge was really key for me and seeing the, the opportunities for my life that opened really the, the gateway to everything else that has, has come. So I tell my students all the time, you know, you've got to walk at that graduation. You've got to really just take that moment in and celebrate yourself. Let everybody else celebrate that accomplishment because it's not easy. It takes a lot and it's so important to really just enjoy that moment um, and to honor yourself and all the experiences that have led you to that point. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Bravo. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because you just mentioned so many things. You had courage to take those steps. You were going into some major unknowns. You were the first. You took those first steps without knowing how to take those first steps, basically. And that's courageous. And so I love that story because you absolutely need to take the time to embrace those moments and to embrace that success because that is a success because it was courageous. It was first steps. It was unknowns and you did it. And so thank you for that. I'm going to segue into this question because you touched on this during your explanation of the successes, right? Role models, mentors, did you have one? Yes, yes, and yes, um, and I still do. Um, so I have had some of the most amazing mentors throughout my life. Um, Dr. Frank Elwell as an undergraduate, um, Dr. Nicole Carr as a, a graduate student, Dr. Maxine Atkinson and, and Dr. Ted Greenstein as um, advisors in my PhD program, um, all shaped my life in a, in a different way and were the exact people that I needed at that point in my life. Um, and so I cherish those opportunities to have learned from them and all that they did to guide me. And even today, I have reached out um, to a mentor, uh, Janice Fadden, who does a lot of um, community development and, and workforce de development. And this is something that I'm wanting to learn more about. And, and even at my age, I still want and need a mentor. And so this is something that I really um, would recommend for everybody. This is something that I tell my students all the time, you know, seek those mentors that you need um, in your life at this moment. And those mentors may be for different reasons. Some of them may be more for emotional support. Some of them may be more for um, kind of skills and knowledge, but it is important to seek out those people. And it is through mentorship and networking that we really get to expand ourselves um, and the opportunities that we have. Yeah, so important. I fully 
fully, fully believe in mentorship, role modeling, just embracing students or, or folks that are looking for mentorship, something that I truly believe in, let's put it that way. So you do so much in community and work with social workers and mental health professionals, youth and detention facilities and adults in recovery, which is a vast range of folks and uh, milieus. Can you explain your own internal drivers to see change in community, how you apply your skill set helping folks and how this has led to your pursuit in getting a degree in counseling? Yes, so I am back in school, um, halfway through a clinical mental health program. And one of the things that a lot of people don't know is the amount of training that counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists, all all the folks that do mental health work um, are required to undergo. It is an extensive amount of training. And so um, I am in awe of everyone who pursues those those degrees. And so, you know, my community work um, and my interactions with teens in particular and families and seeing that even though we sometimes feel like we're saturated with mental health providers, that there's tons of counselors around, um, there's still a lot of people that are not finding the counselors that they need um, that are going to really help be a guide for them um, in, in where they're at in their life. And so I had some experiences with um, so, some young people in particular and saw them really struggling to find counselors that could really uh, that they could really connect to. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and I'm just going to do this. And so that that decision, once it was put out into the world, um, to one of my dear friends who does a lot of homeless outreach, I, I said to her, um, Kimberly, I'm going to go back to school. And then I thought, oh, no, I have to do this now. Um, and that has been a decision that I have not regretted one moment of. And it has helped me in every aspect of my work, um, in my teaching, in my um, way that I approach just pedagogy, because I'm learning so much about um, trauma-informed practices and how that impacts um, college students in the classroom, how that impacts students in K through 12. Um, You know, all of that has really had a profound impact on the way that I approach my work now and, you know, the way that I think about program development in the community, because I'm working with some folks in the community on developing a a workforce development program um, for teens. And we're using really a trauma-informed approach to develop that program. And so to join together, you know, kind of trauma-informed approaches with workforce development and really think about how do we get young people to where they need to be um, with the skills that are going to make them, um, you know, economically sustainable in this, this new economy. And so much of that is that we have to address the trauma that they're experiencing because it carries over into the, their job settings. And so if we want to have emotional regulation, if we want to be able to have young people who can take feedback and um, you know work with that and really kind of develop a self-awareness, that means we have to address trauma. 
And so, so much of that, that work that I'm doing in the community and, and going back to school is, is benefiting me already and um, everything that I do. And it's exciting to be back in classes, although I have homework. Um, and so I'm happy to, you know, kind of revisit what that's like balancing all of that. Uh, but it's fun to be back in class with, with other students and just engaging in something that feels like it's giving you a, a deep sense of purpose. Oh, lovely. And you are so right. The training that counselors, psychologists that they go through is so deep. There's so much. And even after you graduate, there's pre and post hours and, you know, internship hours and multiple internships and all of that, because of course I've got my doctorate in clinical psych, right? So we have just in the state of California, if you want to sit for licensure, it's 3000 hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's 1500 pre-doc, 1500 post-doc, or you can do them all post-doc. So um, yeah, it's quite a few hours and that's not including all the other additional classes, yep. right? That you have to keep up with your, uh, just your knowledge. And so you touched on so many things here and I love what you touched on in regards to understanding what it means to recognize people who are going through trauma or who've been through addiction and even K through 12, you know, when you see kids acting out and you see behavior changes, what does that mean? What does it look like? Was that kid born post hoc in the nineties when I started out getting my, uh, master's degree in human services, I was doing behavioral modification in communities just because of the trauma, because of working with gang kids, what that looked like, you know, why they were going towards gangs and, and these huge countywide grants. So yeah, I get what you're doing and it is so important. It was important back then and it's still so important. And I believe that when somebody goes into community that cares about these kids, that cares about these people, that they have somebody to connect with, just takes one person. I remember going into the community doing one of these groups and there was one kid who was you know, with a gang and he would call me and say, are you coming to do the group today? I'm like, of course I'm coming to do the group. And that regular you know, meeting with those kids made a difference. Made exactly. a difference. And they got to have that modeling and they were more informed about, they have choice, they have a choice. So to really define what their journey looks like. And those steps are hard. And I go back to your first steps and what you were going through. And yet, you know, when there's somebody like you that cares and it is in community and can be that role model, they can ask you, what were your first steps? What did that look like? Because that gives them the courage as well to take those first steps. So. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. This is so amazing. I love your journey and all that you've done, your challenges, overcoming those challenges, your successes, you know, how we continue to learn, how we need our own mentorship. So important. So my last question is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would those words be? Oh my goodness. I, I think I would leave listeners with understanding that all of our experiences, both good and bad, shape who we are and our ability to reconcile those and process those are key to helping us live authentically. 
Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Hunt, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. And if you'd like to connect with Andrea Hunt, you can follow her on LinkedIn and Instagram at Professor Andrea Hunt. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at infocorewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women Home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.